throughout our life, we make all kinds of connections. From our neighbors to our co-workers, from family members to people we interact with in business every day. What about the connections we make to ourself? Today, we'll explore the connections that we make and how they define our lives. This is Things Worth Considering with hosts Gord Riddell and Dr. Jan Hill. It's time to listen and learn. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Things Worth Considering. I'm Gord Riddell, and here with my luscious co-host, Dr. Jan Hill. Hello. Uh, hello, Jan. Hello, hello, hello. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing fabulous. You're doing good. Yes, I'm doing good, doing good. How are you um, doing? So you think we're pretty multifaceted? Uh, you are. <laughs> No, 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 no. Let's just call it a jack of all trades and master of nothing. Uh, uh, yeah, did you need your computer fixed right now, too? Yeah, there you uh, go. Exactly, exactly. You know, we've been talking about spirituality um, and the spiritual nature, spiritual practices. Um, we thought we'd talk uh, and, and sort of an extension of that, and that is how our spirituality manifests through, through uh, the human mind and just the complexity and the multifacetedness of, uh, of who we are. Um, so I think that uh, Mr. Freud probably starts out at the top when he began to define what we call the onion people. And the onion people is just a great way of just understanding the multi-layered aspect of who we are. Why don't you explain that, Jan? Oh. <laughs> okay, the rise of the onion people. Okay, so, well, I would put it this way. In um, psychology, uh, generally speaking, we move from a sense of the self as being like one unified thing in the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, that kind of thing. So especially uh, when it was influenced by Christian thinking, uh, what that meant was the unified self was a reflection of God. So one big whole self. And then along come the late 1800s and the early 1900s. And <clears throat> lots of people come along and say, no way, we're fragmented, we're split apart. And so when we talk about fragmentation today, we see it as being kind of a normal thing that we're actually divided up. Different parts of us inside of us are divided up. And, you know, this is why we're riddled with conflict. So when you think about an onion, this is where the onion comes in. When you think about an onion, you think about a core self that's surrounded by layers of the self different aspects of the self. Each of which can be peeled away. Each of which can be peeled away. And okay. sometimes you don't want them peeled away, but they're there for a reason and they develop for a reason and they develop in relationship to the world around us. And so people are like onions. We might have a core authentic self, maybe. Some people would argue, no, we don't. But let's pretend we do. And around it are layers of our self that has developed to respond to different mechanisms out there in the real world. Okay. Onion people. So where where's where's uh, where's Gord? Am I on the outside, the inside? Like where am I in amongst all these layers? No, you have all these layers. I have all. So I'm yeah. in the middle. Everyone's an onion person. No, your authentic self well, is in the middle of the I'm glad I'm not a garlic person. That's for sure. There you go. But every person <laughs> is an onion person. We okay. are like onions. So am I in the middle of it, and then I have these layers around me? Yeah. If you believe in a core self, then okay. you would, that core self would be in the middle of the onion. Right. Yeah. What I'm saying is some people don't believe there's a core authentic self, but that's a whole other show. <laughs> I mean, we're going to get those people here. Yeah. Uh, so what we're interested in looking at is the layers of the onion. Right. 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 So um, uh, Freud, though, to go back a little bit historically, Freud um, identified that there was like three key uh, parts to us. Mm -hmm. Right. So we had the id. Mm -hmm. What's identified? What does ID stand for? Uh, it is the, yeah, is the basic instinctual self that you're born with. Okay. Right? Uh, so it's your most rudimentary sense of self. Rudimentary. Is that rudimentary? Rudimentary sense of go. self. There we go. Just get out that dictionary. There it was, locked away. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's, yeah. that's what we might call today our unconscious or our subconscious. Yes, although it... Uh, only because drives are usually thought of as being an unconscious. That's something that you have no control over. And the right. id is the seat of the drive. So right. when you have death drive, life drive, sex drive, right? Food. Uh, yeah, that can be part of your life drive. And so you have these different drives yeah. that are that you have no explanation for. Okay. Right? Uh, that makes sense to me. Yeah. A switch just flips on and there you are. You're being okay. driven by your drive. <laughs> right? All right. Yeah, I can, I can handle that. Mm -hmm. And so then we have the ego. Yeah. And then we have the superego. Yeah. But and let's talk about the superego first. Okay. 
Yeah. Okay, so the superego, um, you know, the, the superego is is uh, sort of set up as an internalized uh, set of rules. It's like society's voice. Yeah. Do this, don't do that, and and gives us some sort of guidance uh, as we're going through life. Yeah, but we identify it as something that belongs to society. It's all the shoulds. It's not necessarily things that we want to do. They're the shoulds. Right? Should do, yes. Yeah. So Don't we identify it as something me. that comes from the outside, but it comes inside of us, and we have this long list of rules that we have to follow. And that would be like, yeah, that's the super ego. It's like the overarching structure that we know that we have to live by. Okay. But doesn't belong to us. So on the one right. end, I was all the stuff we absorb. Yeah. Yeah, it's something we absorb, and we might absorb it to such a level that we don't even. Um, we don't even recognize it as being separate from ourselves. But, you know, it's that thing where you look outside, you're going to a party and you think you'd really like to wear your nice shoes, but it's rainy and snowy out there. So you should wear your boots, right. but it's going to like interrupt the whole flow of your look. Totally. Right. So yeah. it's that kind of thing, right? You might not know that you are trying to fit in with sort of the structures of lookism in the, in the, in the world around us, but it's just so, something that you want or don't absolutely. want. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. I mean, there's appropriate and inappropriate. Yeah. So you can think of it like a teeter-totter. On the one end of the teeter-totter is the id, and the other end of the teeter-totter is the superego. So the id is the I want, I want, I want, I must have, I must have, because that keeps me alive. Right. right? On yep. the other end of the teeter-totter is you, you have all these rules of things that you either must have or you can't have because you need to fit in with society. Okay. And then who's in the middle of the teeter-totter? Me. You. The ego. The ego. Ding. Mr. Ego. Uh, okay, so, you know, I think, you know, I mean, Freud, Freud isn't exactly, uh, he's very influential, even after all these years. Uh, uh, much of his ideas and so on definitely fell from grace. However, he is still one of the, the leading uh, and defining people in, in the whole area of psychotherapy. Um, so, um, wh- one of the things that he, he really showed was that, in fact, our conscious mind, our ego, is actually just such a small part, and the unconscious is like this massive. It's like it's like a giant iceberg. Yeah. So when when you see an iceberg, which is spectacular to see, you only see a small piece as we're actually floating. It appears to be floating on the water, but you have this massive, massive structure under the water. Mm-hmm. And that's basically, I think, it's probably the best analogy that there is. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, for it. So. Um, so the, our actual consciousness is actually pretty small, right? In these models, right? In these models, and in terms of sort of how our how our behavior is shaped, right? How we move through the world and do what we do, uh, we like to think that it's the conscious mind making the decisions, but in fact, the conscious mind's decisions is influenced by this big, invisible, subterranean, subter. See, I can't talk today. <laughs> you know what I mean? This it, it, under the water deeply rooted uh, aspect of self that we think of as the unconscious. Right. 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 So and that, and that, I mean, that's, that's, you know, that has a number of functions. I mean, uh, from memory to uh, making sure that we continue to breathe, digest, uh, do all the things we don't have to think about, mm-hmm. you know, putting our left foot in front of our right foot. Most of the time that works. Occasionally it gets confused and we fall down. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it controls uh, and takes care of so many things that we don't have to worry about and listen to. You yeah. Know? So, you know what? Um, what I find is that people people have a tendency to get unconscious and subconscious confused. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. And maybe maybe we should just define those. In fact, you know, when it's used as a noun, that this is not an English class. When it is used as a noun, though, they're the same thing. Mm-hmm. They're used interchangeably. However, once you you know you use it in a sentence like "When I am asleep, I am unconscious," you don't say "When I'm asleep, I'm subconscious." Right, right, right. So right. it begins. To, it does take on a very, very different meaning. Right. Subconscious would be when I do something and have no awareness of having done it, but I'm wide awake. Okay. I, that would be my subconscious. Okay. So I always thought of it this way: is that underneath the subconscious is the unconscious. If you think of it like layers, so the deeply buried stuff is trapped in the unconscious. It lives in the unconscious, and as it rises up to become conscious in your awareness and you go, oh, I get it. I understand now. (laughs) It actually moves through the subconscious. So when you're asleep, 
right? The unconscious ideas are moving into your subconscious mind and they're showing up in the forms of dreams. Right. 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 So the subconscious is like a then step I don't along have a the way. No, that's right. You don't. <laughs> right. So it's because the subconscious is the filter. Yep. Right. That things have to go through. And so if something might rise into the subconscious and the subconscious might go, danger, danger, no, no, we don't <laughs> want to expose that to the conscious mind and send it back down. Right. Or it might come up through the subconscious and the subconscious goes, okay, that's okay. We can release that to the conscious mind. It's like the gatekeeper. Right. And, yeah. and what to dump and what to keep and, yeah. and all those kinds of things. I mean, certainly when you think of how much data, I mean, just sitting where we're sitting, there's billions of pieces of data that we're taking in. We couldn't, you know, we couldn't even begin to describe. We've seen it. If we focus on it, we'll remember it maybe. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, our, our subconscious, unconscious is just rooting through all of that insignificance. You know, no need to remember this. There's only so much memory left in this computer. Mm-hmm. I think I have one. I think I have one cell. His name's George. There you uh, go. <laughs> he, he's almost full. The rest is almost full. <laughs> the memory is filling up. Um, but now you said that this is below this is below this. I want to also really differentiate here, though, mm-hmm. that it is not a location. Exactly. You know, and people have to remember this. I mean, mm-hmm. it's sort of set up that you, you know, if you were to take take the human head, there's the subconscious at the very, very crown. Mm-hmm. There's the conscious. There's underneath that and underneath that. In fact, that is not true. You're right. That, that is, is not nothing true. more than a visual model. Yep. Uh, there is no known place that this works. All right. Mm-hmm. What it is is it's a mechanism. Mm-hmm. It is a mechanism of the mind uh, that helps us determine what to remember, what we're going to suppress, what is too painful to remember, right. uh, uh, which will what will slowly release it into our conscious based on you know what our own ego strength is to be able to handle painful memories. Right. Um, so uh, you know the other piece too then is is let's go back to that super ego. Mm-hmm. All right, it doesn't have a location either. Right. None of it does. Okay. Uh, the superego, I mean, that's Freud's term, but uh, we also hear words like the higher self. Uh, we hear uh, our spirit. In, uh, in di- uh, dialectical uh, behavior therapy, it's called the wise mind. Mm. I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, and in Huna, which I studied years ago, is the Yamakua. Hmm. And and that you know that's uh, the the higher higher part of us. Um, now interestingly in Huna it it does not interact with us. It, it is always there. Hmm. It's only when we ask it to. Hmm. It has to be it has to be invited. So this is interesting to me because in sort of classical. Um, certainly classical psychoanalysis, the unconscious mind is usually thought as being kind of more primitive. My word, not theirs, right? But yeah. more... Uh, uh, just a drive-oriented human. Yeah. Very human. Yeah, yeah. It's very, yeah, yeah. It's all that human stuff. Primitive, right? Like yeah. it's a, the primate, it's the reptilian brain or whatever, right? But so what, I, what I'm hearing you say is that the unconscious is also the seat of perhaps the intuition and it may actually also then be um, uh, thought of as being something that's higher order. Right. So, if it's the higher self, if other if other um, uh, frameworks uh, uh, consider it related to the higher self, then right. that is something that is not about controlling the corporeal. It's about actually connecting to the spiritual. Absolutely, uh, but you know, it really depends on so who's defining this. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, the the reason the reason that I was fascinated by the philosophy in Huna um, was that, you know, the the unconscious subconscious gave you know we kind of looked out for us. Uh, it was often defined as the most willing of servants. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the reason being is, is that it can't, it doesn't, it's not in that time space continuum, and it doesn't know what is real and what is not. Right. So if you continue to tell yourself that you are, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, an incredibly tall basketball player, when of course you're neither, uh, eventually it will believe it, even if you can't physically play. Right. It will believe. In fact, it, probably it will take on some characteristics physically that you could actually, you know, be be okay in playing it uh, safely. The the uh, the higher the 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 amakua. In in Huna, uh, it it watches over it it but it doesn't interfere. It has to be invited in, hmm. and that's sort of that 
knowledge, spiritual, make it happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and there might only be like three or four times in your entire life that you'll have direct contact when you're in, when you're in uh, you know, sort of the most despairing of situations. Direct contact with the unconscious. No, direct contact with the higher, the amakua. Right. Okay. Which is also the unconscious. No, which is your higher self, which is the higher part of us that sits out there. All right. I'm saying sits out there. I'm like, I've got my hands yeah. right out here. All right. It, it is the part that is um, uh, always watching out, but only upon invitation does it actually come in. So that would be the part that that would be the always watching out part. Yes. The hypervigilant part, that would actually be the unconscious mind for Freud. Yeah, absolutely. Right, okay. So yeah, that's yeah, yeah. okay. Thanks. Just Yeah. Um, so you might only have contact with that like, you know, three or four times mm. in your life when you're in a very despairing situation. Like knowing contact. Yep. Yeah. Knowingly contacted. You know, but it would be there guiding you. Always. Always? Yeah. Always, okay. yeah but not interfering. Yeah. Which is, which is really interesting. Hmm. You know? So it's just like part of us, but it's on the... You know, again, these these elements of whether it's the higher self, the spirit, the wise mind, it's it is a part of the mind that is not a location. Mm-hmm. So it begs to ask the question: Then, where is the mind? Mm-hmm. Now, neuroscience has been wor- working very diligently, and we have learned so so much about the human brain. We still have not discovered where is the mind. Yes. Is it even in our bodies? Right. So on that note, while you ponder where is the mind, we're going to take a break here. Uh, This is Gordon Dell and Jan Hill on things worth considering here on the Voice America uh, Talk Radio Network. We'll be right back after these commercials. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. Become a member of voiceamerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit voiceamerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Vidal and Dr. Jan Hill. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, Back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, welcome back to Things Worth Considering. Uh, we're here and we're talking about, as Jen loves to call them, the onion people. Or I guess call wow. us. They're smelly. Because she's <laughs> they stink. They make, they me, make cry. me cry. <laughs> oh no. Okay, so um, what 
what we've been talking basically about sort of defining the fact of uh, you know what the unconscious and subconscious same thing unless it's a uh, an adverb or a verb um, and uh, the higher self the wise mind all those the uh, uh, akuna um, amakua sorry uh, the last question was where is the mind. <laughs> Where's the mind? That's yeah, a very philosophical discussion, I think. Yeah, well, you know, it's a great question because we like to think that the mind is rooted in our brain. And historically, um, when we look at brain science, what they used to believe is that the mind, like our memories and our capacity to process ideas was actually linked to neural networks, neural patterns, mm-hmm. right? So it was like you're walking in the woods, you know, you're going from grandma's house to, I don't know, the cabin in the woods or something like that. And you're walking down the same path. So if you have the same thought, the thought goes down the same pathway and yes. then boom, when you get to the end, there's the end of your thought, right? So they don't think that anymore, right? So thinking is a process that uh, taps into a whole bunch of different neural networks that are there. And um, the um, neural networks are always breaking apart and rewiring, breaking apart and rewiring. So the mind is a term that we use now to actually encapsulate this idea that the brain is in process. So the brain holds the neurology, but what is created through the neurology is the mind. And so the mind is created through a process. It's not a thing in and of itself. It's a process. It's an action. And where are those memories stored? Well, they're not stored in our brain. Exactly. Right? So there's considerable uh, discussion about where those memories are stored. And of course, when the things are jumping across your neural networks, at the end of each neuron is a dendrite and the dendrite has a crystalline formation on the end of the dendrite. So what happens is the electromagnetic energy gets to the end of that little arm and it goes and it pops over to the I'm next sorry, little what was arm. That again? Bzzzt, oh, I heard right? that. Yeah. In your case it goes bzzzt, <laughs> right? And so it pops over to the other little arm of the neuron. And what they're they're realizing now is that as the electromagnetic energy is moving from one dendrite to the other dendrite, it actually goes somewhere else in between. Okay. And that's what they're starting to believe is it's in that process, the jumping from dendrite to dendrite, Mm -hmm. that memory is created. And so it is stored in the dark matter between the dendrites. Like it's not between, physically between, but in the jumping across. Okay. Right, it jumps through the dark matter basically because we're all just dark matter. It goes through that dark matter and and is able to recall recall it. I am not right? dark matter. So for listeners, <laughs> that dark matter, just a reminder, is the space between uh, all the photonic energy. So all the tiniest little bits of energy that we have in our universe, right? You would you would think in our in our dimension, you might think of them. Like in our world, we might think of them as particles. What's the space between the particles? We might say, oh, well, there's nothing there, right? The space between two cookies is filled with nothing but air, and air is nothing, right? If you think about it at a subatomic um, level, it's uh, you have one photon, a little parcel of energy, and another photon, a parcel of energy, and what are they in? They're in the dark matter. So all that space around all of the little parcels of energy is dark matter. Okay. Which makes up uh, about 98% of the matter in the universe. Hole. So my, my brain is just basically a giant black hole. Th- there you go. Okay. Absolutely. I don't know what this whole thing was about finally filming a black hole. Well, the whole... They could have filled my brain. There you go. <laughs> Things go in, but they don't come out. <laughs> exactly. Let Isn't that out. the truth? I take it in, but I can't remember the words. Exactly, right? <laughs> so, Yeah. So this is kind of a cool thing because what does that suggest, right? If the mind is actually stored, if it's a function that actually goes outside of our body, goes outside of our brain and taps into the energies around us and organizes the energies around us, then it means a couple cool things. Very cool. Like we all share the potential to tap into the same energy and to contribute to the same energetic organizing outside of our own body, outside that's of our own brain. Oh, that's very young. The collective consciousness. Exactly. The collective unconscious. The collective unconscious. That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, the, certainly whenever I, whenever I teach this, I ask people, have you ever had an idea, say, to start a business? Mm. And, um, you know, the, the idea kept coming back to you and kept coming back to you and you did nothing about it. 
And then one day you see that business open up down the street or in your town and you go, I should have done it. That is. And people, people say, oh, I've had that happen like 10 or 20 times. It's like, how many times do you want to be handed a gift (laughs) that you're connecting into and ignoring uh, the more we ignore it, of course, uh, the uh, the greater likelihood they're going to come fewer and far between. Yeah, you know, like slow down. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's amazing how many people you know actually connect into that. Um, but that's also you know the same mechanism that happens when we talk about mob mentality. Mm-hmm. That when uh, you have a, a large mob of people together mm-hmm. and and it begins to become violent. Mm-hmm is you only need a few people in the middle or even on the periphery, it doesn't matter, uh, that begin to put out that energy. And it's like a contagion. Mm-hmm. It will go through. It's like, folk, if you're ever around a mob, unless you're there to fight, go home. Go home. Yes, just get away from it because it is exactly how something can spread from 10 people to like 200, 2,000 people. Mm-hmm. Now, the same is also true, though, that when people gather together for a, for a common good, that same thing will also exist. Right. That's the meditation effect. Meditation effect. It's the prayer effect. Mm-hmm. It's also, you know, like the the uh, um, like the, the, the last women's march, you know, uh, what was so amazing about it was, one, it was international. Mm-hmm. They was way above uh, and beyond what they imagined it all over the world. But importantly, that there was no violence. Mm-hmm. No one was arrested. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was actually a very powerful, uh, uh, you know, or, organized, but not, or, it, was, it wasn't organized. It was the spontaneous piece that began to spread very, very quickly, mm-hmm. but it was benevolent. Mm-hmm. It was there for a solid reason. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's, that's what I'm saying is, is that, you know, we can, we can change the world, but enough of us have to believe that to do it at the same time. Mm-hmm. If we can cause a fight, we can cause peace. Mm-hmm. I agree. I totally agree with that. Let's do it now. Rawr. Everybody out in the street. Rawr. Exactly. <laughs> All right, maybe tomorrow it's raining, yeah. sort of. Um. <laughs> so part of the onion idea, right, is that is if we think about the difference between the core and anything on the outside, anything that is not the core you, everything that is not the core you is actually created in the social environment. Right? Yes. So it's created through interactions with the world around you. So our onionness is created through interactions in the social world. Mm-hmm. So if you think about the what that is, I mean, there's there's a lot of people who've discussed this in different ways. What is the difference between who you become in the social world and who you are perhaps in your core self? So Goffman's a guy who talked a lot about this. And uh, what I like about his, his uh, ideas is that they're super accessible because he thinks of it as life, as daily life, as a drama. Dramaturgy is the name of his his game. And so what that suggests is you come into the world and you come in as a a core self. Right. And you behave in your core self kind of ways in your backstage, in your private moments in your life. And there's a whole bunch of things we do in our private moments that we would never do in our public moments, right? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And then we go out to our front stage. Like what? We go out to our front stage, right? And we behave completely differently. We behave in alignment with often what people, who people think we are, who people think we should be. Absolutely. Right? Our roles. Which is our perception. Right. It may never even been spoken. Right. Is we, we, we think that we're intuiting. Right. But that comes from our roles growing up. Yeah, as who who we needed to be in the in the family. Yeah, you know it's yeah. uh it, it 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 really is like nobody said you have to be this or you have to do this. We kind of figured out based on you know uh, uh, our birth order and all kinds of other variables. But yeah, it's there. It's yeah. there big time. And in the onion, right? So in the onion, we have these multi layers of self where there's that core self right in the middle, and then we have all these various constructed. Uh, uh, parts of ourself, right. layered upon layer upon layer. And the first layer is initiated when you are a teeny, weeny, weeny little baby, right? When you have your first moment of sort of autonomous recognition where you go, wait a minute, my <laughs> mom is separate from me. That breast is separate from me. What do you mean? It's not me. Or, you know, the world around is actually separate. Yes. And and it's in that moment that we start to establish our individual sense of self and that individual sense of self is constructed through two things. One, defense mechanisms that will allow our sense of self to continue, mm-hmm. right? We protect it. And the flip side of that is shame, which is also a form of protecting. 
True. What, what parts are we going to keep hidden? Right. 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 Exactly. But it's also, uh, uh, you know, our ability to be able to, at that, you know, very junior, junior young age, uh, to be able to pull back and separate, even if it's only for a few seconds. Right. You know, uh, kids, kids, when they're really, really young, we call them, of course, the terrible twos, uh, is they will pull back uh, for a few seconds. But then you see them looking around. They do, you know, the door or whatever, they want to make sure you're still sitting there. Right. And if you're not, they're like freaked. Yeah. And they're, they're trying to read the room. Right. We're getting all that abandonment stuff starting to happen. Right. 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 You know? So that's that's one of the first you know, major categories uh, of being able to separate. So when we when we hold a kid, uh, you know, that's like, let me down, you know, and, and we we just keep hanging on to them in spite of them crying and so on. We're actually doing more harm than good. Right. You know, they need to have that ability to get down you know, from our laps, go do something, which is just to check up on us, <clears throat> and then come back again. Yep. You know, uh, and then and then when they want up, then we let them up. It sounds like a puppy, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, but it's like it, it allows the child to begin to develop in a just cleaner way that, no, I already gave you a chance to sit on my lap. Nope, no, no, I'm putting your sister up here now. Mm-hmm. And boom, the kid's like, what? Mm-hmm. You know, and we have damage starting to be done, actually. Yeah, and so a lot of the behaviors that we see with kids when they're really young is I is just a is just an expression of their defense mechanisms, denial, yeah. right? Nope, nope, that didn't happen, or nope, there's no bedtime, right? Acting out, right? Exactly. Assertion, disassociation, uh, compartmentalization. Yep. Happens projection. Yep. Right. All the really fun stuff that we're going to deal with as an adult. Yes, of <laughs> you course. Know, it's just giving birth to it. Okay, mm-hmm. so so we have all of this stuff now coming out in this one big layer of my onion. Yep, that's right. And there's more layers to look forward to. Is it sotate? What, huh? <laughs> the onion. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> I don't like raw onions. <laughs> <laughs> don't eat the raw onions, dude. That was my subpersonality that came out called the comedian. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's talk about the next layer after the defenses, the subpersonality. Okay. All right. Okay, go for it. Oh, okay. Okay. You can do it. Wow. <laughs> oh, okay. Is, is this a test? Wow. <laughs> well, we do. We have we have all of these elements. They're not they're not full personalities, right? They're called subpersonalities. They're elements of really the archetypes. Right. You know, that exist out there. And we and we really do have uh, international archetypes, you know, mm. like the sacred mother and the, the, the wise father, you know. Uh you know, we can have a wise woman, but it's not going to be one of those archetypes, right? Because right. it's genderized. Yeah. Right. She's going to be a crone. She's going to be a crone. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, I mean, that's a horrible word. We need well, only if you don't like crones. <laughs> I think of a crow. That's the only thing. I like crows. Yeah. Crows like, are incredibly crow, sacred. Like, but crones. Yeah. Oh, there's something about that. Maybe I get a witch's hat with it or something. No, it's only because we have a negative perspective of women as they age. So we think oh, of no, a crone as being that, right? Oh, no, not me. I've always right? older women. No, but you know what I mean? We think of older women. Okay, that's a whole other show, right? <laughs> the whole Should I lie down trajectory now? of yeah, femininity and stuff like that. So anyway, subpersonalities can be things like warriors or critics or victims or perfectionists, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. our behavior start and our identity starts to coalesce around these subcategories, right? I am a perfectionist. I am a victim. I am this. I am that. And you could hear there's a voice that goes with those. Yeah. You know, and it often when, when for instance, if someone has a, has a victim subpersonality, that's a primary. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, they kind of come in really strong and they try to be really aggressive or whatever. And it's just like, no, that's not. They, oh, I'll never, I never get that. Uh, they, people always do this to me. Yeah. And boom, out comes that victim. And that's often where a lot of people that is self-pitying mm-hmm. wind up. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's more people wind up in that place, whether, you know, um, there, there was a uh, the book just flew out of my head uh, that talked about like you know there was the interrogator, uh, the, uh, the like sort of four prime. Uh, Is that Carolyn Meese's work? No, uh, no, it was a. Uh, you know, his story was he wrote the book and he took it out uh, across the world and sold it out of the back of his car. Uh, there's something, I don't know. I'm going to work really hard by after the break. Um, and hopefully I'm going to remember it. But he talked about that, that, you know, when we have this this place that if we don't hold it, we fall back down into sort of the subpersonality below that. And it's often, you see, you see people wind up in the victim. Uh, yeah, exactly, position. right? So 
while I go and find out what that word might be, uh, I think we should take a break here. So we invite you to come back. We'll be back on the other side of the commercials. This is Gord Riddell and Jen Hill at Things Worth Considering. And we'll be right back. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll-free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Riddell and Dr. Jan Hill. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, welcome back to Things Worth Considering. Um, we were discussing some ideas around subpersonalities. Um, we still can't remember the name of the book, but we're going to find it out for you sometime. But we remembered a whole bunch of other ones. <laughs> exactly. We thought, oh, I forgot about that book. <laughs> um, so we, we have a shared file in one brain here. So what about archetypes then? I mentioned something about archetypes. What about that? Yeah. So that's when the subpersonalities become even more contracted, right? They hone down in. And so you can have a subpersonality. You can you can act like a victim. You can consider yourself being victimized, but you don't necessarily adopt the label victim. I think by the time it becomes an actual archetype that you that you hang on to, it's like you really identify as that I'm a victim. Right. Right. So, so, yeah. So we just, these subpersonalities become even more and more contracted and they become more and more part of our actual identity. Right. So some of the archetypes that you might have would be like a hoarder or a rebel, a prostitute, which doesn't mean necessarily a sexual prostitute. It means somebody who will trade something in exchange for something else. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You have kind of the whole barter system, really, isn't it? Well, right. But you're bartering something that is of value to you to get something back that is of value to you. Right. Right. Which is, of course, bartering. But it's like, (laughs) but it's like, for example, it can be people who trade things off in their marriage. Right. I will tolerate you because you know because with you we can have a dual income family. Right. And that's going to create a certain amount of security. Okay. So, okay. you know, so I'll, I'll tolerate certain aspects of our relationship, that sort of thing. Um, you, you can have different that? kinds of child, the, the inner child, right? The child in you. Right. You can have the wounded child, the nature child, the abandoned child, mm. right? The, the magical cu- child. Magical child. Yeah, mm. that's a big one. Interesting that it got left to the end. Uh, because you have to get through, to get to the magic, you have to sort through all of the those hurt elements of, of the child. Yeah. You know? Um, so 
the the archetypes. I mean, uh, Carolyn Meese wrote about this. She wrote a really excellent book, actually, uh, uh, on archetypes. And you know, so so much like what you're saying is just so true of how if you keep identifying with elements, say from a subpersonality on into the archetype, is to you become that person. Mm-hmm. You know? So I've always really worked to you know help people not identify with being victimized. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that the, that I think we continue to do that is by being a survivor. Right, right, right. It right. keeps reminding us that I was victimized. Yeah, because it's the flip side. It is the flip side, you know, and it's wonderful. I mean, that's where there's all kinds of strength comes from that being you you are alive, you survived. But at some point, we have to move even beyond being a survivor. Right. So it becomes, you know, that what happened to us becomes part of our history that does not define who I am. Right. It is part of my story it is not who I am. Right. So the danger with this is when we keep identifying from a place of this is what I went through, then that begins to define you. Right. But I think I think that part of that journey it's to a, back to wholeness, it's a, it is a journey. you have to start with the you, – you really do kind of have to start with the victim thing because there's you have no to question. realize no. that there's things in this world that you don't have control over. Absolutely. And you can't take responsibility for a whole bunch of things. If somebody bashes you in the back of the head in the dark alley, you can't walk around going, oh, I'm so accountable for that. There's a piece that the other person owns, of course, right? Yep. So the victim serves to – that victim um, – archetype serves to to it helps us separate what we can be accountable held accountable for and what we can't and then from that you go forward to the next piece which is to be the survivor which is a healthy empowering empowering. ownership of what happened right right and then from that you move to another state of a greater state of wholeness which actually where you can actually abandon both of those archetypes right Right. right. Oh, I agree. I agree 100. percent Yeah. Uh, it's the people that you know, 30 years later, are still holding on to. Yeah. I was victimized. So tell us about addiction. Yeah. That's your wheelhouse. Well, you know, addictions is really, you know, I think that when the pain on the inside has gotten bad enough that it's an externalization, really, you know, although we define it, you know, addictions as being a disease process, uh, it's really, you know, it's a symptom of pain. Um, uh, Gabor Mate, you know, says very wisely that, you know, instead of asking, what about that addiction? What we really should be asking is, what is with that pain? Right. And and I think that puts it into a different perspective. When we see that, you know, the person who is in a place where, given what we've just showed, or, or well, showed what you've just listened to, of everything from, you know, defenses to subpersonalities to archetypes, those are those have all failed. Those have all failed to keep the pain away. And when we have a pain that is just so great, then I think we cross over into the external world. Because everything we touched here now has been the our internal world. Mm, right. But now the addiction crosses into, for, for, for the most part, I mean, you can get into perfectionism and, and stuff like that. But is that an archetype, really? You know, but it's also very much a, it can be an addict, part of the addictive process. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that addiction steps outside now of the body. And we drink, or we you know we do drugs, or we collect cars and and go you know bankrupt. Um, but there's something happening on the outside with the addiction. Right. So I, what I'm hear, what I think I'm hearing you say is that at a certain point, the the archetype that we have that that is the container for our behaviors and our sense of identity. Actually, there's too much conflict within that, right? Because the whole the whole it's process both. through subpersonalities and and all of this stuff as we move to the outside of the onion is we're narrowing down our behaviors and our identity in an effort to resolve the inner conflict we have Which that have caused us to have the defenses. Yes. Right? It just can't contain it anymore. Right. It can't contain it. That pain is greater than the containment vehicle. And so then this is sort of the next step is to, to move towards something. It can be food. It can be booze. As I said, it can be, you know, shopping. Mm-hmm. But all of those things has an absolute impact on mm-hmm. our lifestyle. You know, our life in terms of our health, our relationships, our jobs, uh, you know, uh, our spirituality even is mm-hmm. affected by by it, mm-hmm. um, and it, it it's a very brave person who is able to to move past their addictions. So you know, I always think of an addiction as you know, it's an addiction when the thing that you think is going to help you 
is actually the thing that is harming you. Absolutely. Right? So that's the cycle I always look for when, you know, when I'm with clients or with myself, right? It's like you go, okay, is this thing that I'm about to do? It's because in the beginning when we did that activity for the first time, the first 10 times, Mm. it did give us relief. Right. So the first time you had a drink, you're like, hey, this feels better. I feel a little calmer and more relaxed. Then a couple more glasses of wine, and now you feel really relaxed. This mm. feels really good. Okay. Uh, and, and you know, those things are, those things are true. But then, the, the, you know, various things happen. Okay, we'll stick with alcohol. That then you're, in order to feel more relaxed, you have to take more. Right. Your tolerance level is going up. So you're drinking more. Right. You're spending more. As you drink more, then now you're going to start having physiological uh, uh, problems with it. You're going to have hangovers. You're going to be dehydrated. It's also going to affect your emotions. Right. So when you, people who are hungover are usually not really nice people. Um, they're angry. They're, you know, all of, the, all of those things have just risen right up to the surface. They're pukey. Uh, yeah. I'm yeah, because pukey. they feel pukey. Yeah. You know, they're also in what you identified much earlier. They're now in a shame cycle. Yeah. Yeah, they're at the bottom of the shame cycle because they're like, "Damn, I did it again! I said I wasn't going to do it, and here I am. I'm waking up. I'm late for work. I feel like crap. Uh, maybe I'm going to phone in sick. All of that, you know, all those behaviors that we kept vowing not to do, we keep doing them, and so then we we go into the shame. The shame then becomes the 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 infusion back into that pain again, and as it increases throughout the day or whatever, right. it's like there's only one way we're going to do right. We're going to drink again. Right. All right. And then so now we're back into the increasing level of tolerance and getting sick. You might wind up in the hospital eventually, fall down the stairs, crash up your car, uh, do something. And in spite of rising medical evidence mm-hmm. that says this is really not good for you, this is really bad for you, all right, you could be losing your job, you could have a heart thing, you could, all kinds of things, you continue to do the activity in spite of rising negative effects. Mm-hmm. And that really encapsulates sort of what happens with the addiction. It really is... The, the ultimate denial, it's a blind, it's blinders that go on that are so limiting to not be able to see the effect we have on other people, mm-hmm. the effect on our children, on our spouses, uh, uh, even losing our job. It's, uh, hey, our boss was an asshole. Right, right, right. You know, so that's, you know, I don't have to take responsibility for that. The addict will never take responsibility right. until they take responsibility for the addiction. Right, right. And that is to take responsibility for their pain. Mm-hmm. So in this case, the frag, well, in all cases, I guess the fragmentation of self, uh, we might actually have a naturally fragmented self, but the behaviors that are problematic or are sabotaging us or are self-destructive or socially destructive are actually come out of, in the onion model, actually come out of inner conflict between, yeah, maybe the unmet need of the child Yes. Right? Because it happens when we're young. And the social expectations or the social arena that we live within. Right. Right? Right. The unmet needs of a child isn't about a kid, you know, getting his bicycle. Unmet needs can be, you know, someone sexually interfered with as a child. Yeah. You know? uh, Now, uh, not to generalize or genderize generally, but uh, over in the past, it's it's changing due to the fluidity of gender at the moment, uh, women who were interfered with more li- were more likely, sexually interfered with, were more likely to develop an eating disorder. And b- boys who were sexually interfered with would de- usually develop an alcohol or chemical dependency. Hmm. Now, that, we're seeing that changing. You know, we're seeing boys with eating disorders. We're seeing lots of women with, with uh, chemical disorders. But, you know, it's a big piece that's lying underneath that. And addictions is really nothing more than a flashing sign that says, this person's in a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just that a lot of the behaviors, especially when we deal with chemical dependency, it, it, it's not inviting. It's not a pretty thing. Right. And most of us just, you know, want to avoid it. We don't want to get involved. You know, it's like, nah, it's just, you know, keep that over there. So our compassion and our empathy is really not at its fullest. Right. So what I'm hearing you say, though, is that uh, um, addictions are basically an extreme example um, of a process that most of us experience, probably all of us. It's the human process that we experience every day. It's the inner conflict between our needs and our wants. Yep. Right. And the reality around us. Yes. Right? And it's 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 a function of the fragmentation of the self. 
It, it's almost like the fragmentation begins then uh, as, as we're sort of really, really uh, uh, kind of, uh, what can I say, uh, fragmented all over the place, mm. that uh, as the pain increases and we're now moving in towards addiction, it begins to solidify. Mm. And we have another, you know, sort of almost another person emerge called the addict. Right. All right. So often the addict is like a subpersonality. I think it's beyond that. Yeah, I think because it's I think too. it pulls those fragment pieces in to try to hold them all together. It's like right. it's like these uh, uh, buggy buggy races that they have where they they've got like eight horses or a dog sled. Mm. They've got like and they're controlling it with one rein. Mm. That's the addict. Right. Right. Okay. So they have all of these elements, all these dogs on the sled, but there's only one rein, and that's whatever that chemical is. Right. So if you go back to the idea of the onion, right, it's the it's the final layer of the onion that's trying to hold all the pieces inside the onion together, right. right? It's the shell. Because right? the tragedy is, as with all addictions, eventually they'll kill us. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it is the outer layer. So the idea is then that to overcome or to move beyond that using the onion model, that you have to somehow reconcile the deeper unmet needs yes. with the behaviors that are happening on the outside, what whatever those behaviors are, even if they're not the extreme addiction right. behaviors. Right. right. The behaviors initially, yeah, you can't keep drinking and get better. Right. But let's say let's say you just stop. are a perfectionist. Let's say you are just, you know, there's a part of your subpersonalities or something, right? So the whole idea is that the onion model itself starts to, you, to if you use the onion model to think about healing, then healing comes from the, um, the alignment of the, the recognition of the unmet need at the core self with, and then you align it with the behaviors or, you know, your lived experience on whatever level of that onion you're looking at. Yes. And then healing comes. Yeah, but you have right. to stop the behavior first. Right. That are associated with that. And that is if you're drinking, you've got to stop drinking. Right. Or at least moderate it. You have to bring it into into some sort of a moderation. I'm not an all or nothing abstinence. Uh, I really believe harm reduction becomes really important. I think the first thing that we learn or have to learn is about harm reduction. And that is how we're harming ourselves, everybody around us. And how can I stop harming you? How can I stop harming myself? So it, there isn't this huge thing sitting on top of me that says, oh, no, you must quit. I think that's very, very, you know, that's just another added pressure, especially if you're a perfectionist. Sure. You know, on that note, you know what? I think that we could talk about perfectionism for at least three weeks. <laughs> We're not going to. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, this is really, you know, just such a fascinating area um, that we're going to be back again in another week. And we're going to carry on from this place uh, because there's some very cool stuff comes out of our being onion people. Yeah, I want to talk about the inner child as an archetype. And I want to talk yeah. about, you know, how you work with that. Oh, absolutely. Those I, are great. That's things. my unmet need. Oh, they're always having unmet needs. I have many. I'm going away. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, uh, thank you for listening, and uh, this is Gordrell and Jen Hill, and this is Things Worth Considering. We will see you next week. Bye-bye, onion people. <laughs> Bye now. Thank you for tuning into Things Worth Considering. Please join your hosts, Dr. Jan Hill and Gord Riddell, for another edition next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, think about the connections in your life and how they define who you are.